Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for the fact that we can sing, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What an amazing statement. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you gave your blood so that we can be redeemed. We pray, Lord, that you would use the word now to prepare us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you please turn in your Bibles to, um, to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, going to today prepare our hearts for remembering the cross by taking a look at a, at a, a certain history which is, which is so vitally important for us to focus on. It's a history of the arrest of the Lord Jesus and when this, this particular case where the captors there who came to arrest him, they fell backwards. So this is where we are in John chapter 18, verse 3, if you'd please turn to that, John 18, 3. We've considered part of this passage already. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he, has, which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Have I lost none. Now, you know, there are, there are many histories that are of the Lord that are in all four Gospels. And it's interesting to, to read about them and the, the synchronized uh, readings that some of the Bibles have. And then there are some histories that are only in some of the Gospels, not all. And then there are some histories that are only in one Gospel. And in particular, there are some histories that are only in John's Gospel. And have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why John chose certain histories to, 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 that he wrote about that the other Gospels didn't choose to write about, that were not in the other Gospels? Have you ever wondered what was the criteria that John used for selecting the histories that he chose to put in his Gospel? I mean, there were so many histories. There were so many histories of the life of the, of the Lord Jesus 
that, that John had to select from. As a matter of fact, this impressed John so much that the last verse in his gospel, in the gospel of John, he talks about this great array of histories that there were of the Lord Jesus in the life of the Lord Jesus. The last verse in the book of John, John 21, 25, 21, 25 says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So with so many histories before John, what was the criteria that John used to select the histories that he did write about in his gospel? And he tells us what his criteria was in John 20, John 20, verse 30. In John 20, verse 30, he said, this, this, he's giving us the criteria that he used for choosing which one of this great array of histories that he chose to put in his gospel. And it says in John 20, verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So what he's done here, what John has done here, is he's given us the criteria that he's used for selecting the histories that, that he's put in the, in the gospel, and he's selected it based on the histories that show clearly that Jesus was the Messiah, or the sent one, as the Messiah means, the sent one, the commissioned one, the sent one, that Jesus was the Son of God, or God the Son, and all of this is not just given for information, but he wants the readers to be persuaded to believe into the Lord Jesus so that they can have eternal life. And so this is one of the passages that has met this criteria. This is a passage which shows that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, that Jesus is God the Son, and so there are three points in this passage here that show this. The first point that we're going to look at is the glory of Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God. The second point is the willingness of Jesus as the Messiah. And the third point is the protection by Jesus the Messiah. And so these are the three points that this passage shows us, his glory, his willingness, and how he protects. So the title of this message is three words, let these go, let these go, which is really drawn from the last point here, how he protects. So in verse three, we see, first of all, Judas. Here's Judas. We see him. He's made a contract. He's made a contract with the enemies of the Lord for 30 pieces of silver to successfully deliver him privately. And now Judas has come. He's got a group of men with him. They've got lanterns, they've got weapons, and he's bringing them to the secret garden that he knows about. The secret garden that he knows that the Lord will be there at night so that they can arrest him. And in verse four, the Lord sees the group coming he sees his enemies coming into the garden. They've got the lanterns. They've got the weapons. They've come to arrest him. And the Lord Jesus steps forward. He steps forward and he asks them, 
in verse 5 for a response. He asked them who they were coming for. And they give their response in verse 5. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am. Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. You'll notice that the word he is in italics, which, just, which, which means that it was added. It really just says I am. So this is, there he is. He's replied with I am. And the verse ends with describing Judas as standing with them. That's very significant because Judas standing with them, his position showed his decision. This was a decision that determined the destiny and the eternity for Judas when it says in verse 5, these tragic words, Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. What a scene that was of two sides. On one side stood the Lord with his disciples, and on the other side stood the enemies of the Lord Jesus. And Judas makes his choice, and his choice is described as he stood on the side of those who were his enemies. He chose to stand with them. And that's the way it is today, that there's a choice to either stand with the Lord Jesus Christ or to stand against him. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There's no option to take no stand. It's either on the Lord's side or on the side of the enemies. But as soon as the Lord says, I am, as soon as he says that, immediately, whether they saw it or understood it, but he was Jehovah Jesus speaking as he'd had in the past to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses asked him for his name, and Jehovah Jesus there said in Exodus 3.14, Exodus 3.14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So, The instruction that Moses got was that he should tell the children of Israel that I am has sent him. Well, now this part of the children of Israel, the enemies who've come with the lanterns and the weapons, are now told that he is the I am. That was the name of God. I am, that was the name that the Lord Jesus gave. He gave that name to the men who came to arrest him. And as soon as he said that, There was a strange recoil on the part of the men, as it says in verse 6. As soon as they, as soon as then as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Why'd they fall back? Why did they fall back? Because for that moment, for that little moment, they got a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God. They got a glimpse of the glory of God the Son. For a moment, they could see what the disciples saw on the Mount of Transfiguration in that place that was called the Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 2, where it says that he was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. This is when the disciples saw this glory that was inside the Lord Jesus. It was the glory. His body The body of the Lord Jesus was just a covering of flesh, but it housed the great glory that John spoke about in John 1.14, John 1.14, where it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Lord's body had housed the glory of the grace, the glory of the truth of God. And when he said to his captives that his name was I Am, his captains just saw for a moment that flash of the brightness of his glory. And that flash of the brightness of his glory is what knocked them down backwards and made them fall into a helpless just heap of flesh there. So when he spoke of himself, he used this characteristic title in the past. He always used the characteristic title when he said, he, he never said this before, I am, I am. It's the one time, it's the flash of glory. But in the past, when he would speak about himself, he spoke about himself with, a, with an unusual term. He called himself the Son of Man. He said in John 12, 23, John 12, 23, the Son of Man should be glorified. He links the Son of Man with being glorified. He links the Son of Man with glory. The Son of Man refers to what we've been singing about in this song, Wounded for Me. He came to earth in great humility. And that's what the Son of Man refers to, his humility. So when he says the Son of Man should be glorified, he's saying in his humility, his glory would be seen. He said that in his life, when he as the Son of Man would be seen in his humility, then you would also see the glory at the same time. In humility here at the garden, he's being arrested. And yet, with this one word, I am, his glory is seen. And the captors fall back. They're back, they fell back. Now, this is a pattern in his life that in his humility as the Son of Man, his glory is seen. Just think about in humility, he lies as an infant in a manger and his glory is seen by a great multitude of angels that are announcing his birth and by a star that's guiding men from far away to come to him. That's glory, humility in a manger, glory in the skies. In humility, he's baptized by John, and John protests and says, no, no, no. You, this, this is too low for you. This is too humble for you. You shouldn't do this. But he says, suffer it to be so now for righteousness sake. In humility, he's being baptized by John. And what happens? The son of man in his humility, the glory of God as the father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son. In humility, The Son of Man is weak, and he's craving for water. He wants a drink of water, and he's sitting by a well. And what happens? Glory is seen as he gives to a woman an eternal life of a water inside of her. In humility, he is totally exhausted. The Son of Man is is totally exhausted. He goes to sleep on a fishing boat because he's so tired. And what happens? Glory is seen when he wakes up and commands the storm into a state of absolute calm and stillness. In humility, the Son of Man has come to the grave of Lazarus, and he is weeping 
and the grave of Lazarus, the humility of the Son of Man. And what happens? Glory is seen as he calls this dead man Lazarus out of, the, out of death back into life. And he said that if they believed, they would see the glory of God. In humility, he's there sweating drops of blood in the garden as he's anticipating and seeing what's going to happen to him. And, and, and he called, and again, the glory of God is seen as angels now come to minister to him. In humility, the Son of Man is being judged for capital crimes of blasphemy at the Sanhedrin. And what happens? His glory is seen as he announces to them that his coming will be to judge all men. And the greatest humility of all for the Son of Man and the greatest glory that was shown was that in humility, the Son of Man is dying on a cross in what appears to be his total defeat, and yet his glory is seen in that his, in his death, he achieves his greatest triumph over death itself. So here we see in this passage the glory of the Messiah. That's the first point in this unique history to the Gospel of John. Now, the next point we see in this passage is the willingness of the Messiah. We've just sung the hymn, Thou didst leave thy throne and come to earth. Thou didst leave thy throne. That's a decision. And when, we, when he saw his enemies barge into this garden with their lanterns and their weapons, and when it says in verse 4, as we've seen before, that he knew all things, he knew that they had come to seize him. They had come to arrest him. Now, when he knew this, that they had come for this, he could have done what he had done in the past. When his enemies tried to kill him, and they actually took up stones to kill him. And it says in John 8.59, John 8.59, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So at that time, he just walked by his enemies. They were trying to kill him, because, but he just he hid himself and just walked right by them. After all, he had gone through walls in, his, in the history of the Gospels. He could have done that. Why did he do that at that time? He did that because they wanted to kill him, and it was not the Passover, and he was the Passover lamb. He could have just walked by his enemies in the garden. He, could have, he, could have, he saw that they came to arrest him, but willingly he steps forward and he says, I'm the person you're looking for. And when he did this, he in essence held out his hands and said, go ahead and bind me, arrest me. The willingness of the Lord to surrender himself is just in keeping with the Lord's life. It's what we see. His life, in his life, in his death, he was one of a, it was one of a continuous voluntary decisions to surrender himself for man's sin. And that's what we've been singing about. 
because even at his birth, thou didst leave thy throne. In John 16, 28, John 16, 28, he said in essence those things, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. When he said those words, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world, he was saying that his birth was not like our births, not like when we were born. We had no will to choose whether or not we're going to be born. We were just born. But he was not just born into the world. Unlike us, he willed by his own choice to be born. He left the throne and chose to be born. He willed by his own choice to come into the world from the Father. The Bible says about his birth in Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. See, these words where he became flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. It means that he willed by his own choice to take part in becoming flesh and blood. And this is a meditation for us for Christmas, and that's why it's so great that we just sang this song, Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. It sets our hearts on a meditation that we can keep in our minds that when we look and consider the babe in the manger, the meditation is by his own will, he chose to be born. And then in his life, that was at his birth, but now throughout his life, the Bible says about his life in Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. See, those words, he took upon him the form of a servant. That means that he willed by his own choice to become a servant on earth. He could have been anything, but he chose to be a servant on earth. The Bible describes his life in Philippians 2.8, Philippians 2.8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, those words, he humbled himself, emphasized to us that he chose to humble himself throughout his life. And then finally, at his death, which we're, which is, this is the beginning of here in the passage we're studying. When it was, when it was time for Judas to betray him so that he would be put to death, he said to Judas in John 13, 27, John 13, 27, after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. So when the Lord says these words to Judas, do quickly, it's a command. He is the Lord, he is the Lord and master of death and life. And he is calling now for Judas to bring death, do quickly. As if the Lord is saying to death itself, come, come, I'm ready now. I'm ready for you to come and kill me. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 